Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today on the podcast, I talked to Grant Brown. Grant is a tech entrepreneur turned eco-activist that founded Happy Eco News. His goal is to inspire hope for the future in those who worry about the effects of climate change and pollution. Here we go. This podcast is supported by North. North's mission is to provide unique and innovative cannabis products to help bring peace, calm, and healthy alternatives to their consumers. All of their products have been meticulously designed and formulated by co-founders Brandon and Mike to ensure that their customers receive nothing but the highest quality. Currently, they offer three product lines, Vibes, a THC CBD seltzer, gummies, THC gummies, and fusions, a CBD wellness beverage. I'm a huge fan of the THC CBD seltzer. My current favorite flavor, blackberry mango. Use code CARLY15 to get 15% off your order at drinkthenorth.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y-1-5, or hit the link in the show notes. Enjoy drinking the North. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's very good to be here. I have been a subscriber of Happy Eco News for a while now and often share an article or two in my weekly newsletter because I so appreciate the ability to share information with, you know, with some reality and with some here's what's going on. And also to not have every article you read about the environment make you feel like, you know, we're drowning or uh, depressed, really. Yeah. Well, that's why I started it. And and thank you for doing that, because I think that's really the whole important thing about Happy Eco News is that I wanted to build a medium or a platform for people to share good news. And basically, you know, Happy Eco News has two key things we're trying to do. The first one is to help people like you and your friends and uh, everybody that it, it touches to feel better about the state of the environment, that they should know that despite all of the negative things that we're hearing about in the world um, and on traditional news media and social media, that the focus there or on those platforms is generally about negativity and how bad it is because those things get clicks. And it's kind of like driving by the, the car wreck. You can't help but take a look. And that's human nature, I think. And so those platforms have tied or really um, capitalized on that and they're manipulative in the way that they they pitch these stories to the public. And so you're constantly inundated with negative uh, bad news about the environment, but it's not all bad. And from decades of working in the clean tech industry and working with people that are trying to make a positive change, I knew that and I decided to do something different. And, and that is Happy Eco News. The whole idea is to help people to understand that there are good people out there doing good things and to give people reason for hope with the expectation or the maybe the gut feeling that people with hope will then turn to take action themselves. Mm. So that's the first part. But the second part is, you know, those good people that are out there doing good things, the people that are slogging it out day after day, picking garbage or trash in their local park or lobbying for clean air or trying to prevent something from contaminating groundwater or whatever it may be. Um, they deserve a platform. They deserve to be mm. heard because they are doing the hard work. And so the second part of that is to give people the good people doing the good things. And that's, that's my whole mantra is good people doing good things. Uh, give them that platform so that they can be seen outside of their initial or their immediate sphere of influence and uh, just provi provide, the, provide a wider audience to them so that they can um, be more effective in what they're doing. I really love that. And I totally agree with that platform, you know, good people doing good things because, you know, I fancy myself as someone who like knows what's going on in the world of the environmental stuff, whatever. But when I read the Happy Eco News email or see these stories, I'm always learning about something or someone doing something I've never heard of. And that's 
amazing. Yeah, and that's and I think the reflection of how vast and how um, how diverse the world of good people doing good things is. You know, it, it could be anybody from uh, somebody planting trees in sub-Saharan Africa that is basically changing their local climate and providing themselves with a, a form of finding food and, and maybe prosperity uh, to somebody who's working in the scientific lab in Norway or somewhere mm-hmm. uh, working on carbon capture technology in that way. And so they all deserve a platform. They all deserve to have that word spread because it is interesting and it is, it is uh, a way of giving hope for, for everybody. And, you know, I, I truly believe that if people don't have hope, then they can't be expected to take action. And it's kind of like, you know, if you think that the whole world is falling apart, well, why wouldn't you just keep driving your gas guzzling, you know, know, SUV or um, doing all of the negative things that we do, maybe not even knowing about that they're bad. Um, So, you know, we want to give them hope and we want to make sure that they can feel that they've got the empowerment to take that action that they should do as individuals. Maybe it's voting, maybe it's, um, you know, going out and volunteering with a local group. Um, There's just so many different ways to do it. That's so interesting. And you kind of started to touch on it, but I was going to, uh, play devil's advocate just because I've seen this, seen this online a little bit, but you know, have you ever had anyone challenge you or say like, well, if you just share the good stuff, that's not reality or, you know, you're, you're glossing over, you're spiritually bypassing what's going on, not saying you're doing this, but I'm curious if you've had people say that. And then is, is that your answer that you're kind of starting to get at? Like, well, you, you sound like you think hope is intrinsically more motivating than fear. I do. I think that hope is intrinsically more motivating than fear. Um, but I think that fear motivates, manipulates, I guess you could say. Mm. So I think that fear based, like there's fear based politics, you know, where, where large uh, organizations are trying to manipulate people to do things that, you know, they want. Um, right. But, Fear also breeds this hopelessness and, and, and that they, they won't take action. So I think that, you know, we have to kind of, kind of watch that. But for people that say, oh, you know, it's, it's not all good news that you really do need to have equal billing on the bad. Believe me, we are completely out of balance, good versus bad right now. You know, right now, uh, not on happy good news, obviously, it's all good. Um, <laughs> but globally, I think there's a lot more bad news right now than good. And I think we can all use a dose of uh, positive serotonin or whatever the brain chemicals are that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just as simple as that. You know, I have two children and they're in their early 20s. And um, they, I can see how affected they and their peers are by the problems in the world. And um, it's you know, I did this for them. I did this for you. I did this for all the people out there that are um, struggling. And, and, you know, I'm at an age where I have more time behind me than I do ahead of me. Mm. And maybe it's an idea of leaving legacy or something. But when you come to that realization that there's uh, more past than there is to come, you maybe have a bit of a different perspective on things. And um, for me, it's about trying to do the right thing as long as I can for as many days as I have left. And that, you know, when I'm old and grayer than I am now, um, (laughs) that I will be able to look my grandchildren and my great grandchildren in the eye and say, yeah, I did the right thing. I tried to do the right thing. That is, um, I think something that is a really, is a really positive thing to talk about. And it, it could sound maybe a little bit fear mongering, but really saying like, are you doing work that you're capable of that you're the next generation, you can look them in the face and say, yeah, I did. I tried. And that's really scary to say, but I think it's a really good question to ask. Well, I think if more people really look themselves in the eye, in the mirror and said, am am I, am I doing Am I doing the right thing? You know, am I doing the right thing for not only the planet, but for my community, for the people around me, um, for those that have less than me? You know, um, you're from America. Um, I'm from Canada. You know, Western 
countries that are arguably some of the best places in the world to live. And um, we're not happy. I mean, you are, you seem like a happy person and, and I am generally, <laughs> but our societies are not happy. So right. what, what's going on here, right? Why are we so fixated on these um, media people that we see that are elevating themselves? Why are we giving them so much power? Why are we um, idolizing people that are destroying the planet that are so selfish? When in reality, we should be, um, <laughs> I could go on for hours, but we should be idolizing those that are doing the good stuff. Mm. Um, and I, I, and I don't know how to make that shift. And maybe that is one of those human nature things that you'd have to ask a, you know, a seasoned psychologist to find out. Um, but it seems like this odd thing where we're in this system of glorifying wealth and mm. uh, power and influence over, you know, people that are trying to do right. Capitalism, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm an entrepreneur and uh, right. I, I have made and lost a lot of money over the years uh, through the capitalist uh, mm -hmm. process and I'm all for it. But I don't think that it needs to come at the cost of everything that sustains us as a, as a species, basically, mm -hmm. you know, species around us. I, I have worked in clean technology where you know, we were basically trying to roll back the clock in terms of the amount of carbon that was going into the air. We were building very large lithium ion batteries to power heavy industrial equipment. So, so is that the definition of work, like clean technology? When, when you say that, what all does that include? If you could share real quick. Sure. Yeah. So clean technology in my definition is mm -hmm. basically any kind of a technology that is intended to reduce the amount of carbon that goes into the atmosphere or improve the environment in some way using technology as the, um, the instigator, as the catalyst for that. So okay. in my case, it was lithium ion batteries that reduce the amount of diesel fuel that would be burned. Mm. And for others, it might be a, chemical process that converts plastic into some polymer that you can use for something else. Okay. Um, or it could be carbon sequestration or a variety of different things. Even um, solar panels could be considered clean technology. So, you know, what we did, one ship that was converted to battery power, and this is what we did every, on a daily basis, um, would be the equivalent of taking around 10,000 cars off the road forever. Wow. So, you know, and that's just one project. And we did, while I was there, we did hundreds. And so, you know, it was, I was very, and still am very proud of that. Mm -hmm. That was a strictly capitalist based venture. Right. right. That, you know, I did it because I'm an environmentalist and I loved what we did. Um, but a lot of the people that were working with us really didn't care. Just they, wanted to make money. They wanted to make money. And Interestingly enough, as those people would come and go and they would, you know, their, their circle would overlap ours for a little while and then they would move on to something else. Mm. They weren't doing it for the altruistic reasons that we were, um, but the, the net result is the same. Each vessel was the equivalent of maybe 10,000 cars taken off the road. So, you know, I, I had a, a situation where I was working with a company who was uh, providing large tugboats and um, mm. they had a really dirty footprint. They would basically be a 10,000 horsepower engine sitting there idling all day, producing tons of diesel fuel or, or tons of diesel emissions, you know, black soot, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The operators, I said, you know, we could take their tugboat and make it electric. It could run on batteries and uh, the owner looked at me and just was like shaking his head, like, why on earth would I do that? And I like, said, you're well, insane. <laughs> yeah, like, you're literally insane. And I could tell he was getting ready to kick us out of the office. <laughs> and then I said, well, why would you do it? Well, you would do it because you could save about a million dollars a year in fuel. All of a sudden, his ears perked up and it was like, you know, a dog smelling a nice treat. Uh, he was, <laughs> <laughs> <it> was <laughs> really, really interested. 
and ended up becoming one of our best customers and a real evangelist for what we did, you know, and that process took years. Um, Mm -hmm. But that initial sort of uh, interaction where we said, yeah, it's green, but the green is also the color of money. And, uh, and he liked that. And, you know, so we dealt with a lot of customers like that. that right. Are, of course. You know, they, they really didn't care um, one way or the other. But even that in the 12 years that I was working in that industry, I saw it change from this sort of science project type, um, you know, can we make it work reliably enough so that it actually is effective to, oh my God, this is saving us millions of dollars annually to uh, them approaching us and the conversations had shifted because they're not immune to all the news stories. Right. They're not immune. So these, these men might be, and they're primarily men in positions of power in these um, heavy industrial businesses. Um, you know, it's a real always old boys club. And um, right. that's one of the things about it, I guess, that's not very nurturing. It's just um, take, take, take. Yep. But despite all of that, they would come to the meetings and say, you know, my my grandson or my granddaughter came to visit on the weekend and um, all they could do is talk about, um, you know, electric cars or, um, you know, how bad the environment's getting. And so there's this. Is, <laughs> my grandparents have also had to listen to me talk about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, and that's the power that your generation. Had. I mean, my grand a long time ago but people who are younger have a lot of influence over older generations just because we want our children and our grandchildren to love us and yeah. um, we also trust that the kids and grandkids that we've raised or help raised are smart and they're engaged mm-hmm. and we trust their opinion and as we age we start to maybe become less out of touch with um, current social dynamics and they become the the eyes and the ears of of us as we age so i think that's um a really big influence that younger people can have and you know in this case it led to these people being genuinely interested in what we do as opposed to just like a necessary operational expense that we had to make in order to meet an emission um goal that was pushed upon us by government um or uh, shareholders to, you know, do some greenwashing. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that was a big part of what we were doing as well, is it was a bit of greenwashing. But once they realized, you know, how effective it actually was, um, that became a much more real and tangible way of meeting their, their goals. So what came first? Was your interest in environmental activism before working in clean technology? Or like, where did that passion come from? That that definitely came first. Um, my my passion for environmentalism is um, long ago, and we. So I, as a child, I I grew up in a household where my dad was um, very much an environmentalist in an age where environmentalism was not mainstream. He was constantly joining groups and clubs and. Um, you know, writing checks to support local organizations and writing letters to different levels of government to protect wetlands and stuff. He was the kid wow. as, as a child, he was the kid that would, you know, <laughs> um, show up at school an hour late, wet from the hips down because he had been, you know, looking for frogs and birds in the local wetlands on the way to school. There's always one. There's always <laughs> one. Yeah. That's my dad. You know, and, and at our house, you know, and he grew up in an era where you would hunt um, hunt birds to subsist. And so he was a duck hunter growing up as a kid, but he never really liked it. And um, when I was young, he had already um, moved from hunting ducks to shooting as a photographer. And so he would still get his, you know, his sort of um, exposure to the outdoors he would, um, you know, be crawling around in the bush just like he would when he was a hunter. Um, but he would shoot shoot photographs of them instead. But then, interestingly, he began to find wounded birds that had been shot and not recovered, mm. and would bring them home. 
And so here's another thing about my, my childhood is that we had, uh, I think we had about an acre of land and probably about half of that was divided in pens, aviaries, where my dad would nurse, nurse back to health uh, wild ducks and geese and other types of animals that had been injured by hunters. And so I didn't realize that was weird. I just <laughs> thought that's how everybody lived when I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, so we had Canada geese and I had a wood duck that would ride around on my shoulder and just, you know, that was my childhood. So that you were like literally a in... Disney princess <laughs> with, with animals like <laughs> flying around you. Like, well, I think of more of myself as Ace Ventura pet detective where he stands there and all the animals sure. come to him. Sure. Yeah. Whatever imagery, either way, amazing <laughs> childhood. <laughs> Yeah, so I did have an idyllic childhood, and you know, my dad instilled that influence of um, of protection for the environment at a very mm-hmm. early age. And you know, we're um, always into the outdoors or hiking and camping and all of those things. But I also come from um, an engineering mind, and so my grandfather, um, on the other side, was very much a tinkerer and mechanic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, built the family home out of wood that he uh, milled uh, from the trees on the land kind of guy, built a sawmill, um, was a, should have been engineer, was just mm-hmm. ahead of his game, couldn't do it. And so I always liked those mechanical devices and I always liked to ride motorbikes and, um, you know, so I was my dad's son on the one hand, on the left hand, and then, you know, sort of that um, typical young guy that wanted to go fast and make lots of noise on the other. Right. And so I was working in, you know, a, um, action sports industry, uh, in marketing when I was approached by some people to help them do a website for this startup battery company. And, um, I thought, well, that's interesting. Here's the sort of perfect marriage of the environmentalist stuff and the technology stuff that goes fast and makes lots of noise. And I can mash those two together and, um, and have a lot of fun and maybe make some money at the same time. And so, so that's what we did. And I think that for me anyway, that was a real benefit to the company is my ability to understand both sides of it. I could speak to the environmentalists, but I could also speak to the old boys in the, you know, the gray suits about um, ROI and um, how to make their ships reliable and, um, and better. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's, I think there's a way to be an environmentalist in, in any industry. Um, mm. I think that, you know, I mean, maybe there's some, <laughs> maybe there's some where it's completely, uh, <laughs> not, but you know, I have, I have family members in, um, the oil industry and, um, you know, they say, Oh, I'm not an environmentalist and, you know, oil forever and blah, blah, blah. But even them, even they are coming around, you Mm. know, they're starting to sort of see the writing on the wall and that this may not be sustainable forever. I'm not about taking away people's jobs. I think we need to transition and to be a smart transition where we need to get into maybe all the oil workers need to go into solar or wind power or whatever. These are great jobs. They're technical. They are high paying and there's a big, strong future for them. Let's transition now and not wait until some other country or other region has already passed us and then play catch up. So I know why you started Happy Eco News, but how did that work lead you? Was it, you know, feeling like you weren't seeing any positive change in in the industry? Was it uh, just kind of struggling with the news in general? Like, I know the the why, but how did you go from that to that? This podcast is supported by Parade Underwear. Parade believes that the materials that touch your skin should be as comfortable as possible wherever life takes you. That's why their styles come in a large range of fabrics from seamless universal that disappears under clothes to cozy waffles plush comfort that keep you comfy on every occasion. Parade understands that everyone deserves to express themselves however they choose because we're all unique. And Parade knows that there's no parade without our planet. 
They strive to make all of their products from reclaimed, recycled, responsible, renewable, or regenerative materials. This is really a win-win-win. I love Parade. I've been wearing them for a while now, and I can't recommend them enough. And of course, we love the mission. Use code consciously.carly for 20% off your first order. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-Y dot C-A-R-L-Y, consciously.carly. Enjoy your new undies. This podcast is supported by Will's Vegan Store. Will's Vegan Store has been a vegan company at the front of vegan clothing and sustainable fashion since they launched in 2013 by their founder, Will Green. They produce the most beautiful, vegan, sustainably made shoes, clothing, and accessories. I have been obsessed with this brand for years now. They were one of the first vegan brands that I really made the switch to. It can be hard to thrift shoes, but I love knowing that if I'm going to purchase a pair of shoes from Will's Vegan Store, they are going to be ethically made, their workers are protected, they don't use plastic packaging, they're delivered in an environmentally friendly way. It's truly the most amazing company to support. So if you're ready to try them yourself, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you. So in 2017, I pulled my teenage kids out of school. My wife had left her job of probably about 20 years at that point. And uh, we decided to travel the world for 10 months. We were going to go for a year. It ended up being 10 months. And um, the impetus for the trip. I was just going to say, what prompted that? You're way ahead of me. (laughs) So um, my company had asked me to move to Europe. And I basically, what I found was that I didn't want to move to another Northern climate. I'm from Canada. So I wanted to move to Spain. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I started looking at Barcelona and, um, and then we found that the kids would have to be in public school in Barcelona. So that meant we would basically be replicating our life in Canada in Barcelona instead. And so instead I pitched to my boss was the CEO of the company. Um, if I, if I say I can be wherever you need me in front of customers at any time, and if I say that I'll never miss a meeting, do you really care where I'm located for the rest of the time? You were ahead of your time now totally that, ahead, this, yeah, yeah, now yeah. that this is the norm, right? Yeah. And so he said, no, I really don't care. And he's, you know, to give him credit, he's that type of guy. He's right. very, very chill on those types of things. So he just wants the job done and he wants to know it's going to be done right. Fair enough. So I said, okay, well, I'm going traveling. And so the idea behind it was to expose my family, my kids to a way of life that wasn't necessarily the 1% that Mm. they've grown up with. Um, You know, we're very fortunate to have had where we, where we were born and all of those things, the stars aligned and we ended up living in a very um, almost affluent community uh, in the outskirts of Vancouver called White Rock. And um, the biggest problems that my kid has had was whether or not they would get the new Coco Chanel bag or the new iPhone. And um and that was a not a product of how we raised them, but a product of their environment, of who they right. were spending time with. And, you know, I still take my kids camping and and um, they still have a great appreciation for the outdoors. But what I wanted to do was to show them firsthand how other than, you know, the other 99.9% of the population lived. So we started in Barcelona, which was kind of the easing into it. And then uh, Thailand, Cambodia, Bali. But... These all sound like wonderful destinations, but we didn't necessarily live in a resort. Right. We we lived like the local people. So we rented homes in those communities, ate the same food, rubbed shoulders with them. Um, basically, was um, almost it was the the idea was to show them that you know happiness doesn't come from the new iPhone. Happiness comes from your social interactions and and the family and friends that you keep and how you live your life on a day-to-day basis is much more important than striving for the um, dopamine hit from a new iPhone that after, you know, one day is just the iPhone. 
And yeah. I think we've all experienced that, this, this thing that we covet so much, but once we get it, it's just another object and it's really not that much better than the last one. Yep. So um, while on that trip, we were exposed to incredible amounts of pollution and of all types, uh, you know, air pollution in the cities, but the trash was just astounding. And so it was this constant barrage of these beautiful people. And I, I still, I'm, I think of thinking of Cambodia, beautiful people, very clean, very um, kind, willing to, willing to invite you over to their house for dinner when they only earn $5 a day. Right. Um, very grateful for your being there because they know that, well, the ta- the tourism dollars might spur more development in their country because they're just so poor. And yet there's a ravine near our hotel that was full of trash. And, mm. uh, then the rains came and it was in the rainy season. And so every few days the rains would come and wash all that trash away. And there'd be a beautiful, pristine little river and with an egret waiting in it. All the trash is gone, washed into the Mekong river, which then flows out to the South China sea and then deposits somewhere in the ocean. And every little town, every community in, in Phnom Penh, every, every town like Phnom Penh and every country along that water course for however long that is is doing the same thing and i tell you that really was just shocking to me and then we got to bali and we you know i'll set the stage for this we got in and during a a rainy night we um got up in the morning the sun was shining as it only does there it's just beautiful in the tropics and grabbed some coffee and walked down to the beach to check out the shore break we're planning on doing some surfing and uh, Changu Beach, which is considered to be one of the premier surf destinations in the world. Wow. We walk out onto the beach and there's plastic as far as the eye can see. Not a, uh, Literally not a square foot of beach didn't have some sort of plastic on it. So it was those two events that made me think, and they, my kids were like, this is horrible. You know, like right. I've got a photo of my son. He standing up on his surfboard finally gets up on a on a nice ride and he's got a big piece of plastic bag stuck over it like draped over his thigh like that's how bad it was so um you're surfing in garbage so it was at that time that um there was some um very destructive politicians in office in Mm. the u.s um (laughs) and globally there was a whole bunch of stuff happening that was setting back environmental um, regulation and the news was just negative, negative, negative. And I just got sick of all these people getting all these headlines. And I just said, stop. I'm not, I'd been on social media, the doomsday guy. I was always sending out, you know, got to stop deforestation, got to stop plastic pollution, got to stop carbon, you know, all blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff. And, and finally I just said, you know what? Enough enough. I know there's good people out there doing good things. Mm. I worked in the tech industry. I know that there's dozens of people that would love to have one of these media bits, this a little bit of coverage from, from any one of these outlets. So I just decided to start sharing the good stuff. And so it took a little while and I had to dig it first. Um, but as I refined my um, process, I found it much easier to find better positive news stories then um, it turned into a mailing list and a newsletter. And then I just decided to do a website and the thing's been growing ever since. That's really amazing to not only have the experience you had in you know the clean technology um, field, but then to have those experiences where you actually have to like physically get out of your environment and see something that you just never would have really experienced. And I do think there's something about you know, it's one thing to to read an article and have empathy about a situation or feel sympathetic, but to see it with your own eyes is a different experience. It, it totally is. Um, and I think that we have become desensitized to the things that we see on the little screen. Yeah. The, it's That's there and we're here. And that isn't real, right? Like, how could that possibly be real? It must be fake or something. And so um, I'm very much a strong proponent of getting out in the world and traveling 
And, um, and you know, like in North America, the beaches are clean. You know, there might be a bit of trash mm-hmm. on them, but generally speaking, we don't have the same problems as they do in other parts of the world. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily I'm such a, you know, a clean the beach kind of guy. I, I, I do. And I, everywhere I go, if I'm out walking, I see trash, I generally will pick it up. I always carry a little bag with me. And um, yeah, I'm that guy. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah, I was going to say same. I mean, I'm, I, that's, I'm that gal. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so for, so, but you can't clean it all up by yourself. And I think that a lot of people like, so for the example in uh, Bali, where the beaches were so bad, it wasn't that the people didn't care. They know it's it's horrible, right? They don't want to see their pristine beaches, their way of life destroyed by the plastic. But all they get is plastic. And they don't have any trash collection. So what can they do? They, they can't let it build up in their own home, so they dump it into the ravine. And the ravine flushes it out to the ocean, and then it gets blown it back up on the beach and then the government will come along and do a half-hearted attempt to clean some of it up in the tourist areas Mm. um but you go to the areas that aren't on the tourist areas and i mean at one time i counted i think it was something like 40 flip-flops in just this one little patch of beach flip-flops all different like none of them matching and um that's because everybody's wearing plastic flip-flops there and traditionally those would have been sandals made out of organic materials that would have then broken down and become part of the ecosystem and been okay. Um, but the plastic just never goes away. Right. And so, um, so, you know, it's just one of those things like we all have to do, we have to start somewhere. Um, but I believe that it all starts with having hope that there is a reason we have to believe that there's a reason to to do something, to take action. So a lot of these, some of the countries that you've named that you saw and and many others are getting these plastic wrapped things, plastic products from other countries, from Western countries, uh, X, Y, Z. So how do we help make that change? Like, what do we do? I know that you have um, talked in other interviews about like, what do we do to, to talk to politicians and how do we keep that pressure? So what, what do we do? What can we do besides well, have hope? So there's two ways of voting. And first is uh, voting at the ballot box for the politician that you believe will do the right thing or the one that's the least crooked, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that's a bit cynical. Um, I believe but, that there but are good reality in a lot of places. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. It is true. Um, But the second is to vote with your dollars. And so I'm, and you and I are fortunate to have, to lived in in Western countries where we have a relatively good standard of living and we have a fair amount of disposable income. Um, We can choose how we spend that uh, much more than people in developing nations can choose. So we can basically put pressure on companies as just like we could, we can write letters, we can write emails, we can um, make our voices heard that we don't want to see bananas wrapped in plastic. Um, And that's wild. And that's, you know, like I was in, and this is in Spain, Barcelona, right? Western country. Um, Everything is wrapped in plastic there. Like you'll have one single banana wapped in cellophane. Unreal. you know, but I guess it lasts uh, just a little bit longer. And so for them, that's okay, right? Um, right? But where does that go? And so that's the other thing, you know, I, I just don't understand, like it's, the polluters are not being forced to pay for their, for their, what they're doing. It's the taxpayers that are being forced to pick it up after. And um, that should change. But, um, and that means, and that means no. put in your opinion, putting pressure on those companies, like you're saying, and putting pressure on those governmental entities. Um up yeah. front. And if you can if and if you can, don't buy the banana wrapped in plastic. Buy right. the one that's from the organic producer um that sells them at the farmers market. You know, and, right. I, and I live in England right now. So I'm from Canada. I live in England. Um I'm astounded at the overpackaging that I find here. Mm. And yet this is a hotbed of environmentalism. Yeah. So there's a 
real dichotomy of people who are subjected to this overpackaging and everything that they buy at the grocery store or anywhere. And yet they're also, they're the ones that want to see the change. So I personally just stopped buying it. I just, I, I have, I found a local uh, company called Organibox and uh, it's a little plug for Organibox if you're listening, <laughs> uh, but they send out a produce box every, every week if you want. And it's got nice locally sourced where possible, inter- internationally uh, sourced um, if it's exotic fruit. Um, and um, there's, no, there's no packaging. It comes in brown paper. Wow. So even being able to explore those options and share about those options um, can make a difference too. Because I think a lot of people that have the privilege to help want to help and get overwhelmed, don't know where to start. Like one of the things as a coach, I like help people with is how do you start this sustainable living journey? Cause I genuinely believe people want to do more and they're not sure where to start. And then there's all that greenwashing bullshit that they're like, Oh, I did. I bought the better option. And you're like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. I know you think you did, but you didn't. And it's not yeah. your fault. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that it comes down to education in a lot of ways. You know, how do, mm-hmm. how do people uh, see through the greenwash? Right. Uh, um, one wonderful trend that I'm seeing in the world right now is um, anti-greenwashing legislation. And that's more in Europe. I think it's coming to the US and Canada. And it will be inevitably uh, occur. Because when you've got large companies making large green claims and with nothing to substantiate it, so that's actually affecting their share value. Mm -hmm. And if they're a publicly traded company, then the Securities Exchange Commission will start to get involved. Because if you're, if you're saying we're green, and no, we're actually not green, um, but it makes your share value go up because you're saying green statements, that's fraud. And so wow. these green wa- anti-greenwashing laws are going to come into play where companies just, if they say something, they've got to do it. I know in Europe as well, like the clothing, they're really going after fast fashion industry. And um, I think H&M was recently indicted for some pretty serious claims. You know, I, I'm guilty. I, I, I used to buy stuff at H&M, just I'd be traveling or whatever, and I needed a shirt for an event. I'd just go and buy a cheap shirt at H&M. Oh, college, H&M and Forever 21. I mean, $4 to go out to that night in a new outfit for like 10 bucks. I mean, I totally was guilty of that. Yeah. And the thing is that um, it might seem cheap, right? But you're not, you're not paying the true cost. The okay. true cost is, is somewhere down the line. H&M's not paying it. The consumer's not paying it. But we as a society and our planet is paying it. When you've got millions of tons of garments being shipped to Africa for so-called recycling that end up being incinerated, or in Eastern Europe where they're being incinerated, people are using it to, for, to heat their homes. Um, there's something really wrong with the world, right? And they can still mm-hmm. make money on that. I, I just, so I, as a consumer, just personally, I've, I've been buying things that fit a style. As, and I mean, maybe it's part of my age too. It's not a passion, it's a style. So, <laughs> um, but I buy good products that, uh, that will last for a long time. And yeah. if I buy a jacket now at my advanced age, it might last me the rest of my life. My advanced age. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that that's really, it's really, I like that you said those two things because I don't think the onus is just on the individual and that's a misconception, right? That it's just like, if you accidentally use a plastic straw tomorrow, it's your fault. The environment is having this crisis. Um, But it's like that both and that individual action and then that that bigger community global action need to both be together. Well, I think that's been a real uh, strategic PR initiative on the behalf of the polluting companies as well. Yes. Shift shift the blame. Hey, it's not us. If you guys didn't buy it, we wouldn't make it. Well, you know, if, if we had options, maybe you might find that we were buying something different, you know, like big um, bottled water companies, 
they're not selling water. They're selling bottles, you know? Um, it's, just that, yeah. it's just that simple. And, you know, when they say recyclable, I guess, yeah, technically in a perfect world, those are recyclable, but almost none of them are recycled. Like, right. In terms of percentage, it's minuscule how much that stuff is actually recycled. I think something like 90% of all the plastic ever produced in the world it throughout history still exists in its original form. Oh God, what a bummer. Oh, just sorry. like, <laughs> just no, 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 no. It's okay. I'll read happy eco news after this, but I, uh, yes. I've seen those stats <laughs> before. And it's just like, when you think about that, you know, if you, if we could visually see all of it together, I think everyone would have a little bit more motivation. Cause that's a lot of freaking plastic. It is. And, you know, the thing is that it is getting better and people are becoming more aware. And so even the companies that are doing it, I mean, the fact that they're greenwashing at all says something. And that is that consumers are interested and they want to know that there's something better. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff happening. Like, you know, um, out of COP26, there's a whole bunch of reforestation initiatives have, um, or forests have been protected. Um, you know, there's divestment of banks there's accountability mm -hmm. in, on behalf of um large organizations um there's uh you know the fact that like i, I was just at a conference um two weeks ago and i had i listened to the head of sustainability for the eu of google corp um do a presentation on how they're using ai to make the planet cleaner or reduce emissions and you know there's one of the largest companies in the world, arguably one of the most powerful companies in the world, now using their resources on their own. Nobody's forcing them to do this. This is just their own internal initiative because they're people. At the end of the day, they right. want to live on a planet that has, they want their grandchildren to be able to drink the water and breathe the air without a respirator. You know, so they're they're going after big businesses. And by going after, I don't mean that they're, you know, attacking them but they're offering to help them lower their emissions. Lush Cosmetics, UPS, some of these big, big companies that, um, you know, they and they're happy to because it positions them better for the future as well. I, I, I right. think the not too distant future, if you're a company and you don't have a solid sustainability plan and, you know, more and more there's a, a chief, um, you know, a, a chief sustainability officer at these organizations that has power almost equal to the CEO, they are, if they don't have that, that um, sustainability plan in place and it's not robust, they're just going to be called out and laughed at and their share values will be affected as well. And yep. ultimately you know, money makes the world go round. Um, that hasn't changed and we're not living in like a cashless utopia of um, uh, UBI and all of those wonderful things yet. Um, but I think that, you know, with AI and with all these other advances that there's a real, real good opportunity for us to make the changes that need to happen in a very short period of time. What's, mm -hmm. you know, here's the thing, like, you know, in the 1940s, nobody would have thought that we would ever, um, put a man on the moon. Right. And we have, you know, we're sending spacecraft to Mars now, um, where we stand today, looking at the future, it seems almost overwhelming and impossible to fix. But once humanity chooses to do something, they do it. And don't discount, don't discount the ability for people to, to make positive change when they really, really put their mind to it. And um, I don't think we're quite there. We're not at that tipping point yet, but I think we're real close. So what is the uh one of your favorite happy eco news stories you've heard in the last few days or the last week oh in the last week you know I, I, there's so many going on um i think the ai one is is yeah. probably the, my top of mind um another one that just happened recently and you know being in england it's been a bit pretty big event was um uh king charles the third um, being inaugurated after his Queen Elizabeth passed away. Um, you know, he's just the King of England, but he's the King of England. Right. And he is an, 
very much a, a strong environmentalist, always has been. So mm. love or hate the royal family, King Charles is an environmentalist, and so is his son, William, and I don't know about Harry. Um, w- William has the Earthshot Prize, which awards millions of dollars to company or to organizations that are developing a technology to combat climate change. But King Charles has always been an advocate for the environment. And, you know, he's he's just another old white guy, a very rich one. But he's he's somebody who's actually trying to make a change. The 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 um the crown in England, the 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 royals here have always tried to remain apolitical, meaning that they don't wade into political topics. But my gut says, and I and I read a I was exposed to a um, a letter that he wrote, a leading environmental scientist recently. And he talks about how um, he believes it's his turn, it's his time to rock the boat on the environment. Wow. So, so this is, this is big, right? right? Now we're talking about people with huge influence. Now he can't make laws in England, but boy, he can influence people. Right. And so, um, I pity the fool who tries to do something stupid um, and, you know, jump into bed with oil industries or roll back environmental legislation in England or anywhere else in the Commonwealth that um, may be influenced by King Charles. You know, so those are interesting. It is interesting. And um, I think that we've got more and more people rising up in these positions of power that will be able to make influential change. Um, and it's not going to, it's not so fringe anymore. You know, right. when my dad, when my dad was the environmentalist, you know, going out and building composters and uh, saving birds in the slough, um, he was an outlier. Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally. He was not the normal, but now, you know, environmental science programs, um, there's sustainability officers, there's all kinds of environmental careers that were unthinkable even a couple of years ago. Right. I, I, I made a career in um, energy storage. Well, that wasn't even something that was like energy storage. There, That wasn't even part of the lexicon right. 15 years ago. And now it's everywhere. And right. so, um, you know, like in, when I was at the Paris climate conference in 2015, hardly anybody had an electric vehicle. Mm. There was a few out there and, you know, I thought, oh, that would be neat, but you know, I just couldn't afford it or whatever. Yeah. Um, fast forward seven years, everywhere, everywhere you look, there's EVs um, and they're growing and there's waiting lists for them and everybody wants them and every, not everybody, but a lot of people want them. And what the uh, the interesting thing is, once you get one, you go back to a regular car because they just work so well. And you mm. you you learn that you know that range anxiety or whatever that we have. Uh, oh, I can't necessarily drive to, you know, I can't drive for ten hours and just fill up the tank. Um, that goes away. You just it, that's it's, uh, that's not an issue. You think it is. Right. You think it's going to be a, a worry, but it's really not. And so I've been driving an EV for, I guess, about seven or eight years now. And, um, and it's great, you know? And so, so anyway, those shifts that happen are, they happen quickly. I think it's like this tipping point occurs. And all of a sudden, uh, like Bloomberg, just about the EVs, um, Bloomberg News just talked about um, last month, I think, um, tipping point for the EVs. That's already happened. People already right. want them. Every major manufacturer will have several, and um, now we just have to roll out the charging infrastructure to support it. And that's right. not even that's that's not even a, that big of a deal because there's electricity everywhere. Right. I love that. I love the um, the ability to see some of these things and be reminded too that things happen slowly, and then sometimes there are quick shifts, and to be um, to be hopeful for those, those tipping points too, is really important. Yeah. And I think that, um, not to be afraid, um, is, is critical because, because we do live in this sort of fear economy, this fear political environment. 
um, where fear is selling everything. It's either fear or envy, fear of the future, mm. envy of the rich that have everything you want um, or that you think you want. But, you know, it's um, do, do, and, and there's no arguing that the lifestyles of some of these people that are incredibly wealthy look pretty appealing, right? Who doesn't want to be laying on a beach um, <laughs> and, you know, being served champagne? Um, but I think that for most people that would get pretty old pretty quick and then right. they would long for their regular life back again in some form. Um, but because it's unattainable, we envy it and we desire it and we yearn for it. And yet it's unattainable. So we just can only watch from afar and then we, you know, support those people with clicks and views and then they just get richer. So, you know, um, I think hope is really the the critical thing. And I always keep coming back to that, you know, hope don't, don't keep maintain hope, but don't not take action. Keep taking action. Everything you do, right. You have a choice in everything that you do. Um, do you take the car or do you ride your bike today? Um, right. you know, just so many different things that you can do. Do you buy the plastic wrapped banana or do you buy the bunch that comes from a local green grocer that is in a, in a paper bag? Right. Um, you know, there's lots of things. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share that I haven't given you space to or? No, not at all. I mean, I'm sure that there's lots and that I could go on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe we'll have to save that for another time. I was but, just going to uh, say, I would love to have you back sometime. Oh, I would love it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that um, all I would just would like to to leave your audience with is the the notion that if we if we maintain hope and take small actions as a society, you know, if a million people vote with their dollars and vote an election in a certain way. That's a voice that uh, can't be ignored by politicians and companies. And they will, they will change because they are always going after, in the case of politicians, they just, it's a never ending four year cycle. I want to get reelected. And for the companies, it's a never ending cycle of trying to maintain their market share. And right. so if we can show them that that's not going to happen unless they do what the people want, then um, we will get those changes that we we desire. So maintain hope. And even if it seems like it's not happening today, it will happen eventually. We just have to give it some time. Well, thank you so much for leaving us with hope and um, also a reminder to take action. I think those two need to go hand in hand together. And I appreciate that message. Thank you. It's been a very much a pleasure being here today. Where can people find you or find the newsletter, get in touch? Happyeconews.com. And um, we're on all the major platforms in terms of social media. Uh, love it or hate it, it is part of the world these days. So we can find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch. LinkedIn, TikTok, all of it. Yeah, awesome. we're there. I'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more, and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon! This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? By now, you all know that therapy is an important part of my own self-care. It has truly been a game changer in every aspect of my life, including achieving goals. 
BetterHelp is the largest online therapy platform worldwide. They are changing the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to a licensed therapist. BetterHelp makes professional therapy available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. You can start communicating within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And I have a special offer for Consciously Clueless listeners. Visit BetterHelp.com Carly and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. By using this code, you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash C-A-R-L-Y. Take care of yourself today. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> 